Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. Nolan, it is episode 216 of the main show, and we're back for some 50s sci-fi. Yes, a little we bit are. darker, a little bit more introspective. And for my mind, Nolan, a hell of a lot better than the movie we covered a couple of weeks ago that was actually from the 60s, but it's of the same type of era of sci-fi. Yes. <laughs> the movie we are talking about today is 1957's The Incredible Shrinking Man. Nolan, why this one was chosen today? Why? Uh, I was in need of some high-concept sci-fi, and this sounded really interesting. Not just uh, a cool premise, but something that took itself a, bit, a little bit more serious than like a shrinky premise would take itself like nowadays. Like, what's when you think of shrinking movie? What's the first movie that comes to your mind? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Quite yes. obviously, very comedic family movie. A great movie. You would also think of Ant-Man, the sort of uh, family-friendly, shrinky superhero. I was interested in the thing of the concept of shrinking that's like a fucking body horror movie. Yes, which I suppose this, it's about as close as you would get to it being a a body horror movie. Because you can't get mangled up in a Cronenberg sense or anything like that. But no, no, there's no, a hell there of a yet. lot. There's a hell of a lot of real in-your-head, you know, kind of depression almost within our main character in The Incredible Shrinking Man as he continues to shrink and there's a few kind of sparks of potential light in his journey of shrinking. But ultimately, it's just kind of misery, 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 fight, fight, fight until you get a shred of quite poignant acceptance at the end of the movie. But I like I like that idea of it feeling like a body horror movie because when I do think of body horror, my mind immediately does go to the kind of mangled stuff that you get in Cronenberg movies. But you are right in saying that. It does definitely feel like that. And again, high concept sci-fi is always a nice realm to delve into especially when it goes back this far because too often are we perhaps used to seeing sci-fi movies like we covered a couple of weeks ago with the day of the triffids that it was good but had some issues issues cheese ball issues and cheese ball issues that's my cheese favorite ball issues that's my favorite thing you have ever said Ironically, this movie also has a cheese ball issue, but it's got to do with the Incredible Shrinking Man trying to steal a piece of cheese from a mousetrap and not kill himself in the process. <laughs> so it's actually just a different type of cheese ball issue. Anyway, Where was what... that in those uh, racist Tom and Jerry cartoons? <laughs> Raci racist Tom and Jerry cartoons? Uh, I was, I was in a community... Racist... I was in a car with a bunch of comedians yesterday going to a gig and somehow the topic of racist Tom and Jerry cartoons came up. And then That's I watched this way. movie earlier and I was like, yeah, this is straight up like a scary Tom and Jerry episode sometimes. I, I wasn't even aware that there was overtly racist Tom and Jerry cartoons 
Oh yeah, there's one where they're uh, they go on an an island with natives, and it's oh, like God. you can imagine how stereotypically racist it is. Oh, that's nice. I mean, that's ignorance of me, really, isn't it? To not realize that there is going to be something like that. But anyway, Nolan, your feelings towards the Incredible Shrinking Man, in a general sense, to start us off with. I generally really like this one. This was a really interesting concept done well. And, like, well enough, like, you generally feel the fear and the thrill of everything that happens to this guy who's shrinking. It doesn't make the premise silly, like a lot of people, I feel, would try and make it silly. Yeah. Like, I believe Eddie Murphy wanted to do a more comedic remake of this movie, like, back in the 90s. There was the incredibly shrinking woman in the 80s, which was more of a comedic take. I like seeing a premise like this that actually has the patience to explore its topic with nuance and make it genuinely frightening. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, uh, I felt like the way they handled the whole shrinking thing here, it was almost as like getting a cancer diagnosis and like battling cancer a little bit, the way the narrative does it. Yeah, I, can't, I get that. And it's funny you should say that really, because there's a scene in the movie where the doctor who, uh, you know, our lead... Uh, is Scott Carey is the guy's name, played by Grant Matthews. A really great leading performance, to be honest. It's kind of a shame when you read into Grant Matthews uh, as an actor. He basically did very, very little else <laughs> other than The Incredible Shrinking Man and faded away and died pretty early, I think, in his early 50s, um, which... You know, it's a shame that some someone like um, someone like him didn't do more. I suppose sci-fi projects in in the late fifties, early sixties, because this movie showed he was kind of made for them. But aside from him giving a great performance, there is this one scene in the doctor's office where the doctor refers to this as an anti-cancer. So it's all. So it's not like his. You know, in in cancer, your cells multiply at at an uncontrollable rate, and that's what causes the horrible issue that that is. But this is treated as a depreciation of a body of cells in a body in proportion with each other. So it's kind of strange, really, that he keeps kind of perfect proportion throughout the entire movie. Mm -hmm. It just gets tinier and tinier and tinier. And like you said, there's plenty of genuine fear in this movie, of horror in this movie. And it's very psychological. It's very kind of moral horror. And I really like it for that. It's introspective. I... I really did appreciate it for that because you do get the scenes of spectacle in this movie. You mm -hmm. do get the very impressive, you know, special effects, all the like split screening and the rear projecting and the, the big sets that you get built. Um, they're really impressive to kind of look at, really, for this movie from 1957. But like I said, it's what impressed me the most about it was its seriousness, 
which I guess I like, and I I I needed that from this movie yeah. definitely. I totally get that. Like uh, I like I said, I just I really like the idea that this movie just takes itself completely seriously, not too much seriously. Like it still has fun with its premise, but you buy the threat. It almost reminds me of like uh, the the subtext of the original Invisible Man, where yeah. it wasn't just uh, him becoming invisible it was literally like his achievements were becoming invisible to the world and it drove him nuts yeah i imagine i reckon if if like a modern horror studio got a hold of this premise you could do something as good as the remake of invisible man quite possibly i don't think that's out of the question at all i think this is prime for a remake and a remake that genuinely does take itself seriously it's very rare that i would say something like that but I really do think, I really do think this is a case where it, it would kind of work. And mm. you've just reminded me of the remake of The Invisible Man, which was a totally different take on it and a great one in itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, you do get certain parts of this movie that feel a little bit honey, I shrunk the kids, sure. But that's probably due to the fact that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids stole things like giant bugs and fighting with pins and needles and nearly getting drowned <laughs> from this movie and others like it. Um, but it is, it's a fight for survival a lot of the time in this movie. I feel it's really well split up and really well structured as well. For not yeah. being a, a long movie at all, I think it's only 80 minutes. But it obviously, it starts with him, him, well, it starts with him and his wife on a, on a boat. And his wife goes in to get some drinks. And this undescribable, never really explained mist fades over Scott Carey. And this is what causes him to start shrinking. And it starts pretty slowly at first. He notices that some of his clothes are a little bit big. And after a couple of weeks, you know, he's noticed a couple of inches have gone off his height and he's really starting to lose weight. He goes to the doctor. The doctor basically shuns him. He tells him, you're an idiot. You can't lose height. You're imagining things go home and then he really does start to just depreciate quite quickly um and it, there's where a hell of a lot of the horror comes into it for me is actually in the early part of the movie where he's just kind of trying to figure out what's going on with him mm -hmm. the later parts of the movie kind of the third act of the movie where he's trapped in the inescapable cellar of his house the basement of his house surrounded by all these obstacles um that's not as much horror for me that's kind of where the movie turns into a survival adventure yeah i can really that. appreciate it for but i uh yeah and then you get the little middle part where he meets the circus performer, who's also, at that point, I think he's like three foot tall or something mm -hmm. like that. 
And he meets this circus performer who's also three foot tall. And they have a little bit of a bond. It's where in the movie that um, he's been to the doctors again and they've given him a, an injection which has stopped his shrinking process for the time being. And he assumes that this is then he's just going to be three foot tall for the rest of his life. He's not going to shrink anymore because the doctors have done their job. Um, so he meets this circus performer and kind of finally seems to find a little bit of hope and a little bit of happiness because his relationship with his wife has completely deteriorated. I mean, they seemed quite pleasant at the beginning of the movie, but he's just become really, I mean, as you would expect, really, un, you know, aggressive and kind of deeply insecure and, you know, his wife's trying her best, but it's an impossible situation, obviously. You, you know, how would you react to shrinking rapidly through mm -hmm. no fault of anyone's? It doesn't make sense. But when he does meet this circus performer, it's really sweet. It's a shred of light in his very, very dark world at this point. And you feel hopeful in that moment. Yeah, that's um, like the cancer diagnosis metaphor that I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose it's, you know, you, you can look like you're getting better and then it gets infinitely worse, which when you put it like that is really, 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 really sad to think about. And, you know, after that, he he does get worse. He becomes really, really tiny. You know, his shrinking starts up again. And that's where you get the trapped in the cellar kind of survival adventure mm -hmm. aspect of the movie, which I was talking about before. So I think it's got a really it's got a really good structure and a really good balance of a couple of genre ideas, whether it's body horror, like you say, or all this survival adventure. Um, mm -hmm. what, would, what would be your favorite aspect to this movie then, whether it's in terms of a genre or structure or anything like that uh where it comes into the genre to me it feels very it feels very sci-fi thriller to me yeah and almost like uh drama as opposed to like uh a comedy or anything like that because they they don't make a joke they don't make jokes about it which i really appreciated and the whole thing of like his wife like suddenly feeling like she loves him less that kind of plays into the whole uh it's just really difficult to deal with this kind of thing like it does feel almost like uh as soon as he's diagnosed it's like she's preparing to eventually lose him someday and that felt very tragic and real to how i've seen that a lot of families of people with cancer have gone through mm -hmm. i mean it so is i i would say it's definitely on the feel of like a a sci-fi thriller but with a dramatic core at its heart. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of parts of the movie, though, do you prefer the kind of starter, uh, well, the, not the starter, the beginning act of the movie, where it is this kind of confusing fear, um, or where it turns into the hopefulness or the 
survival adventure towards the end? Which do you find the most appealing? I'd say the um, the adventure is the most thrilling aspect. Yeah. But I really enjoy the build up to it because it feels like without without the build up being good, the adventure bit doesn't land. It's it's kind of like Jaws in that sense. You need that first hour of it being a full on Hitchcockian thriller for the adventure to really land at the end, and that's what makes Jaws so great. This is kind of a similar thing. I mean, I wouldn't say it's as great as Jaws, but I'm biased on that because Jaws is my favorite movie. But it does follow a very similar structure. Yeah, it's. I think it's a really, really impressive sci-fi movie. It was the first time I, I'd ever seen it. I wasn't quite expecting it to be, um, or I wasn't quite expecting myself to enjoy it as much as I did um or appreciate it as much as i did for being you know genuinely really quite thoughtful i find it interesting that it was written by richard matheson as well who obviously wrote you know i am legend which became the movie i am legend but also became the movie the last man on earth with vincent price who with that with i am legend and this movie is clear he just finds survival, what you know, kind of one man's survival against insurmountable odds incredibly interesting and, and you know, contemplating your place in the universe, which is always a fascinating concept. But it's very, very, in, it's a very, very interesting one to explore in this movie because as you know, Scott Carey is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. And then at the end of the movie, when he finally kind of accepts his place in the universe, that the, the movie ends with the line, I still exist, which if that's not the most perfectly moving piece of acceptance you could possibly wish for at the end of this movie, I don't know what is, but it's, really interesting to me the way this movie kind of deals with deals with thinking about your place in the universe because it's not just it's not even as you know it's not even a man fighting zombies slash vampires or whatever the hell they're supposed to be in i am legend you know it it is literally a man deteriorating yeah. within himself and at that time kind of gaining like i said certainly by the end of the movie acceptance of his place because at the beginning of the movie he's run of the mill he's an everyman he doesn't know his place he, he seems to coast along but at the end he feels more significant within himself than he does at the beginning even though at that point at the end of the movie he can't be an inch tall mm. you know at that point he can fit through that tiny little netting grate in the cellar which allows him to then walk outside and look to the sky and give all this big final monologuing speech about looking up at the beauty of the heavens and all this business. Aye. Which is uh, poignant. It's it's 
you do like moved. that does fit with the final shot of the movie as well where you see like the milky way yeah and it's like i mean it's a bit of a cheesy metaphor now but i imagine back then like you know realizing how small you are in the universe sure yeah and just accepting that it it's uh it's it was very very moving to me so i have to commend the the i have to commend richard matheson for seemingly enjoying that concept another thing i did find interesting actually was that this movie nolan was directed by jack arnold who also directed one of your favorite universal monster movies creature from the black lagoon that makes a lot of sense considering the action sequences explain well the the CG parts where he's running away from the cat did remind me a bit of some of the underwater shots of Creature from the Black Lagoon, where they did use a little bit of CGI to cover up how the creature was swimming. Well, I suppose, well, it wouldn't be CGI, but it would be camera tricks, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would be... Yeah, it would be like a blue screen or something like that. I mean, we don't have blue screen in the 50s. It look, it would, honestly, it when he's running, it does look like a blue screen. Well, it's rear projection. So they, right. it's it's... He's filmed on one uh, one film. I don't know the correct terminology. Basically, he's filmed against a second film that doesn't have it, him in it. So it, it's uh, able you're able to get these different dimensions. It also uses some of the same tricks that, um, like the Lord of the Rings used for the hobbits to make them seem tiny in comparison to Gandalf and people like that. Um, So it's really clever like that. But I get, I I do understand your point um, about that. But in terms, in terms of the action though, do you see, do you see much parallel between this and something like creature Mm -hmm. from the black lagoon? Because Jack Arnold was a fairly prolific sci-fi director in the fifties. Uh, I would say that. Well, I'm not. I'm not really sure because what I remember from Creatures from the Black Lagoon is it existing as this very environmental kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm not sure this movie's going for that kind of message. It seems to be very personal, whereas opposed to the Creature from the Black Lagoon is like a very big, big movie. Yeah, for its time, anyway. Yeah, but in. I mean, in ter- in terms of the the action itself, the shots itself, is it just this kind of technological mirroring you're seeing within the two of them, or is there anything more? Uh, not necessarily. I think the technical achievements on Creature from the Black Lagoon are a bit more significant. This feels very it's fifties effects, but you kind of roll with it because the premise is so good. Whereas yeah. I do think features from the Black Lagoon, its effects were a big selling point of it. Yeah, I get that. Um, it's also kind of interesting to know that the there's two fairly significant animal characters in the Incredible Shrinking Man. One of them is the cat that um, Scott Carey's wife and his brother assume kill him when they are both out of the house and he at this point is living in a doll's house because he's that small and gets attacked by his own pet cat in a really terrifying kind of chase 
sequence. I really appreciated that for its more its more spectacle attitude towards horror. Right. But they assume the cat kills him. Um, in that that cat is the same cat that played the cat in Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I find interesting. I always like it when animals play the same things in different movies. Um, but almost more interesting is the spider that is a. A I'm real... pretty sure it was a real spider. Oh, it, oh, it 100% is a real spider because it's the same spider that Jack Arnold used when he was filming the movie Tarantula a couple of years before, which is a, a giant monster movie about a giant spider. This movie, you know, the spider ends up looking like a giant, even though he's just a regular spider because he's coming up against a guy who's an inch tall. Um, but, I mean... I just think it's impressive that they used the same spider. I think this spider must be incredibly well trained. So I, I give credit to Jack Arnold for appreciating the spider's work in Tarantula and bringing the spider back, recasting the spider in a later movie, um, giving the spider another role. I appreciate that. You don't hear of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. A great deal. I really do like that. <clears throat> yeah, it's just like I feel the spider was more terrifying in the way of it. It actually looked like really. It felt like something almost out of like a Lovecraft story. Whereas yeah. I think the cat sequence was just way more thrilling because I think it it's more heartbreaking in a way because you see him bonding and like petting the cat earlier and then the camera just making the cat seem like this kind of monster. Yeah, I mean, it does. That that cat is, is terrifying at that point. And it's all made... So it's all made doubly phenomenal by the fact of, of all the effects put in there, of the rear projection put in there, the split screening, and the, you know, different sized sets that are used mm. in you know, shots with, with Grant Matthews and shots with the cat. It just fits together really, really well. And he's entirely successful in creating the tension and terror it is supposed to create that sequence with the cat. I was a really big fan of that. Mm -hmm. But if there is any consistent foe, or antagonist in the movie. I really do think it is the spider. Because he spends the last half an hour of the movie. Trying to get to this certain piece of cake. Which makes it sound so insignificant. But he's got no food. Down in this cellar. In this basement. He needs nourishment. To continue surviving. And. Basically, the only food in there was this piece of cheese on a mouse trap. That it was a really tense scene in itself of him trying to get this cheese and trying to use a a, a pin to snap the mouse trap off and not, you know, completely obliterate himself. So he gets this cheese, um, and he finds like a crumb of something else. I think he takes this crumb to. 
this little net grating, actually. I think it's the same net grating he walks out of at the end of the movie. And he sees a bird outside. And he kind of hysterically starts laughing because he, can, he seems to realize that this tiny crumb that he's holding in his hand that would is, is really a large portion of food for him at this point would be nothing for even a small bird. So he's really having to come to terms with his own dimensions at this point, his own scale, his own smallness in, in the world, in the universe again. Um, I really liked that scene. I, again, it, was, it seemed to be another scene to me of this kind of introspective horror, which I really appreciated. But then the most of it is is trying to get after this dry, horrible-looking cake that's full of spiderweb that's being guarded by, it might as well be Aragog from Harry Potter, the size of this thing in comparison to Grant Matthews. And the fight with the spider as well towards the end of the movie is really quite thrilling as well. He's using this needle. He's trying to stab the spider. The spider's charging after him. He can't run anywhere quickly at all, can he? Because he's unbelievably tiny. That spider then went on to bite Peter Parker. Possibly. It after might being be the revived same by radiation. It might be the same spider. There's also... I mean, we do cut back to his wife and his brother um, kind of contemplating what they're going to do. It's, it's sad, you know, they keep having to tell themselves he's dead. He, you saw the cat. He, he must be dead. We've looked everywhere. Even though I don't think they've looked everywhere, clearly have they? Because they didn't once open the cellar until they did open the cellar later on in the movie. And, almost drown Scott Carey to death um, with just a little bit of water because that's all it takes at that point. But we do keep cutting back to them, so it just kind of adds to, to the sadness of it. I suppose thinking about it and talking about it now really does make me doubly aware of how sad the movie is for the majority of it it's almost structured and i hope this makes sense it's structured in an it's a wonderful life sense where it's misery 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 and then one last final bit of happiness at the end which yeah, makes that's everything what okay again it's kind of the same Kind of the same structure in that sense. So I like I can it. totally get that. And nice one there linking it to the name of our show, talking Obviously. about the movie that we have not covered yet. And we'll never cover. That's the joke. <laughs> yes, a running you know gag. The, you know that's the joke. <laughs> Anything else, Nolan, you would like to bring up about this movie? I the I don't know if I got this quite right, but did the wife think the cat ate him? Yes. Yeah. That poor cat is getting put down. Well, we don't see any punishment for the cat. This is my problem, I think, with the movie. 
Well, not that we should just be punishing cats for no reason. Cats are lovely, generally. But if they think that the cat has killed Scott, why do we not see them, like, get rid of the cat? <laughs> Probably because the cat was just acting in its nature. It doesn't know that it's Scott. I don't even... But surely you don't... I don't know. It you just sees see a small cat. thing on there and assumes food. We don't even see the cat for the rest of the movie. It was weird to me, Nolan. It's like the, the shark in Jaws doesn't know it killed a little boy on the beach. Just sees the boy as food. This was his pet, Nolan. <laughs> this was his pet. You said it yourself. We saw the bond towards the beginning of the movie. Where was this? Mon the cat turned into a monster. It looked like the cat had been the one that had come under some sort of radiation situation and gone insane. It was like that, uh, I swear this must have inspired that one scene from the movie Mouse Hunt. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I have, yes. Oh god, oh. that brings back a memory. Mouse Hunt. I uh, remember the scene with like the feral cat. Silly movie. Very silly movie, but it almost felt like that and they made they shoot the frame to make the cat seem like a monster. Yeah. It's clever. I'm just thinking about that movie now. Oh, God, the pain of that movie, getting mouse traps caught all over you. Terrible. Oh. Terrible, really. Jacuzzi tubs, everything. I really don't... I, I'm quite terrified of mouse traps, actually. I mean, that that one scene in The Incredible Shrinking Man really did kind of get to me because I am so scared of putting my finger on a mouse trap and the end of my finger just being cuts clean off. I don't know how powerful mouse traps are, so I've never like I think they'd probably just break your finger at the most. I wouldn't want that though. That sounds horrible. So don't use mouse traps. But what if you have to use mouse traps? What if you've got an infestation? Get an exterminator. But they'll use mouse traps. Get you will be out of the house until the mouse has been caught. I can't do that. That's a silly idea. You will go to that nice little cafe you took to me and get yourself a pasty bomb and wait for this all to blow over. Are you possibly? Are you? Are you telling me that you're not scared of putting your finger on a mouse trap? Well, yeah, but I'd never be in the situation where I am using a mouse trap. How do you know? What if you become the incredible shrinking man? Well, I am not going to take any beach vacations with strange clouds in the near future. How he didn't know the strange cloud was coming. The the, the strange cloud just appeared. This was my one. This is why you should movie. still be wearing a mask. <laughs> a good point. Do not become the incredible shrinking man. Wear your mask when appropriate. I still wear mine on public transport, so. Well, that's well, that... perfectly your decision, and we, we must respect decisions of people. My one gripe is that with the movie is where does the mist come from? Is it actually no explained? No, I, I don't remember just, it being. I think it's just there to exist as a reason for it to happen, and it's not really meant to be explained, because back in those times, they didn't care about explaining the science behind everything. Thanks a lot, Independence Day. Well... <laughs> Why are you hating on Independence Day now for no reason? Even though I view Independence Day, the movie, as an overly 
aggressively patriotic thing and it, it had to be for that time i think sure but still um i don't even remember what we were talking about the mist the mist yeah i don't really like that the mist doesn't seem to unless i'm forgetting something it was only yesterday as of the time of this recording that i watched the movie unless i'm forgetting something i don't think the mist is actually explained but then again it's not even the point of the movie is it the point of the movie is questioning one's place in the universe and coming to terms with the uh insignificance of yourself humility nolan humility the movie don't think you're better than everybody else because you know you're just the same if not smaller have some humility i always that's how i live my life i think i'm smaller than everyone else it's called having no self pride may i work in a career where i live and die of making a room of people laugh i am right there with you well yes exactly see yeah, I just think, I think it's a gift. I think humility is a gift. I think acceptance of your insignificance in the whole vast universe is a gift because it stops people thinking too big of themselves, getting too arrogant. There's nothing more off-putting, Nolan, than arrogance. But not Definitely. good arrogance. Good arrogance is, is confidence. Self-confidence is different. Arrogance requires you to also think that I'm better than all other people because I'm me, which is just a deeply Arrogance. problematic thing to think. Oh, yeah, I've met plenty of those kind of people. This is what I'm talking about. All those people could do with watching The Incredible Shrinking Man to learn. I wish bit. this one guy that I'm referring to would become The Incredibly Shrinking Man. I do not know who this person is, but I trust that you... I will spill the tea after the recording. That is fair enough. I trust that you believe entirely in what you are saying mm -hmm. right now. Um, Nolan, you spoke before about the idea of a somewhat modernized remake of this movie, a la 2019s was it 2019 or 2020s the invisible 2020, man 2020 i believe it was 2020s the invisible man do you have a small idea of what this may be for the incredible shrinking man uh i'd say you would just do the same premise take it as seriously but just update it for modern times maybe have some random science guy in there to uh explain the whole thing behind it, make it a bit more of a threat. You could go more in-depth with the shrinking stuff for a laugh, cast Paul Rudd in it, and let him show off his serious acting route. I mean, I think I think now you're you're treating it as a comedic movie, though, because oh, if no, you I reckon, him... I reckon Paul Rudd could pull off a really good dramatic performance if he had oh, the yes, right material. Yes, absolutely, but I think even the casting of it would just... It comes from a place of let's have a bit of fun rather okay, than let's, fuck it. let's get uh, let's get your favorite Timothy Chalamet, the incredibly shrinking triangle, the incredibly shrink. 
he at the end of the movie he just becomes a little piece in the trivial he, he becomes a little wedge from trivial pursuit <laughs> he becomes that size i would rather see him doing those weird movies than whatever he's doing next i think the next thing he's doing is he's playing bob dylan and why do we need another bob dylan movie i mean how many bob dylan movies can they make have they made a lot of them? I thought they'd only made, made this one. They've No, they've definitely made at least three Bob Dylan movies. There's that one where Kate Blanchett plays Bob Dylan. And there's definitely a couple more. There has to be. I refuse to accept that it's not. For some reason, I can't think about it now. No, but I think if you gave this to, like, Blumhouse or something, you could get something really cool out of it. 100%. 100% you could. Um... It Although goes to the more of the body horror aspect that you couldn't do in the fifties. Possibly you could you could ramp up it effects like if, wise. If you shrink, does your do your bones shrink with you, or are you gonna see a scene where you're like shrinking out of your fucking skeleton? I mean, that would be an idea though, because they, they do make a point in this movie of it all being in proportion. What if like different parts of you shrank at different rates? And it really did turn into body horror. You, you, there would be a fine line between body horror and just goofy silliness, though, there, because you could end up with just, like, one massive... Imagine this. Imagine this, right? This is where my mind is going right now. The rest of your body is a little bit smaller, but you just happen to have two very large middle fingers. <laughs> Because you can never they walk into shrunk. a room of easily offended people. Exactly. Because they haven't shrunk at the same rate yet. So you could either make it really stupid or really quite horrific and go back to the kind of Cronenberg-style body horror that I, that I was uh, focusing on towards the start of this episode. I don't mind that as an idea, though. I wouldn't want it to just be the same but in you know shot in a modern way and shot with modern cast because that would be a pointless remake and i don't like pointless remakes and i always prefer the style of older movies anyway so there's that i suppose but i don't think nolan to be honest with you that there's anything else i would like to say about this movie. I just think it is a, a pretty outstanding sci-fi movie. And it was certainly considerably better than I had perhaps given it credit for having not seen it. But I'm I'm very, very thankful I have seen it. I think it's going fairly high on my list of excellent 50s sci-fi. I'd say uh, it's up there too. I'd probably even look out for like a Criterion or an Arrow video of this. Oh, it de it de it does. It does have a criterion, I think. Arrow, it might have. Arrow, it might have. Arrow, Arrow would be good. Something like that. A nice. I've got a of bunch nice, of Arrow Blu-rays that I haven't watched yet. One of uh, one of your nice boutique Blu-ray labels, as they are referred to. Always, always lovely. I, I, I have a nice growing. Are you also your special features junkie like I am? Aren't you? Yeah, I yes. Recently, I have been significantly growing my uh, boutique Blu-ray collections, which yeah, 
maybe it is worth me picking up or looking out for a version of the incredible shrinking man because i would happily add this to my physical media collection yes is there anything else you would like to say about this movie nolan i think it's definitely up there if you're a big sci-fi horror fan you need to check this one out if you are an aspiring filmmaker who is looking for something to test your writing abilities with if you had to write a remake get this and give this one a go I know a couple of like screenwriters on Twitter who try and like write potential sequels or remakes or redoings of their old their favorite movies just as a writing exercise. I think this would be a really interesting one because you could do a lot with the premise. Yeah, definitely. Well, there we go. I think we're in for a shorter and sweeter episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast today. This has been episode 216. We have been talking The Incredible Shrinking Man from 1957. A great, great movie. But Nolan, this show, It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show, is not the only show we have on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed, as we also have Morgan Hasn't Seen every Wednesday with myself and Janine, where she forces me to watch things that I have not seen. We are still on our modern Shakespeare movie series at the moment. This past Wednesday, um, we we got back into the world of black rom-coms, which I always enjoy whenever we cover that on Morgan Hasn't Seen. Deliver Us from Eva was the movie, which is the slightly... It is. It's the slightly less known version of The Taming of the Shrew that's not 10 Things I Hate About You, but does have Gabrielle Union, so that's a big positive in Morgan's book. That was what we covered on Morgan Hasn't Seen this week, and we also, of course, have our brand new Monday show, Monday Madness with Morgan and Machine, where we just chill out. We talk about what's happening in the world. We talk about movies and tv and other things in between always have a focus fun topic play some games it is a blast of a time on mondays these days on monday madness you can find us the it's a wonderful podcast feed that is um, audio only on anchor apple podcast spotify stitcher google podcast Castbox, amazon music and all the other places Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered there. Um, But Monday Madness, in its full glory, is also over on the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel in full video format as well, um, where we also do watch-alongs and we do live discussions and we have other fun videos on the YouTube channel as well. Subscribe over there, ding your notification bells as well. And leave all the likes, all the comments, all the good stuff there. Um, We have a a link in the description of the episode as well. A donation link if you would like to do that. We have our It's a Wonderful Podcast Teespring store. Um, We also have a Patreon. It's a Wonderful Podcast on Patreon. Whole bunch of fun tiers over there if you would like to join. If you are feeling particularly generous... But you can also find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Find me on Twitter at the Purple Don with a three instead of the E in there because three is indeed the magic number. 
Nolan, all your delightfully shrinkable stuff is where? At uh, NolanDean27 on Twitter and the Glasgow Kid on Instagram. Um, got a bunch of gigs coming up this week, so just trying to write some new material for that, and hopefully they all go well in the lead-up to the Fringe. Well, are we going to be treated to a series of jokes about shrinking people or other things to round How about some people with small minds? Because I've been working on a new routine about turfs. Well, I certainly don't mind the sound of that. So, I will now say thank you, everyone for listening to this episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. I love you dearly. We love you dearly. You're the best. Until next time, I will say goodbye and ask Nolan to take it away. Rowan Atkinson said, The job of comedy is to offend, or have the potential to offend, and it cannot be drained of that potential. So for all the turfs out there, this one's for you. For those of you who are unaware, a TERF stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminist. They call themselves gender critical. I call them Gabby Cunts. <laughs> I've been trying to come up with a new acronym for TERF, and uh, I'm actually working this one a little bit, so you can tell me what sounds better. Thousands of egotistical rejects fuming, or thousands of evil reptiles fuming. I like the reptiles one. Reptiles, I. Turfs are the kind of people who are all right with the first three letters of LGBTQ. They love them, can't get enough of them, presumably because they need all the fashion advice they can get. If I had to describe what a turf looked like to someone, I'd say imagine Miss Trunchbull from Matilda if she had no job and a Pinterest account. <laughs> the, the thing that bothers me, though, and this is like more of the serious bit, is like, I'm not daft. I know there are cis men who pretend to be trans so they can prey on people. I know that there are trans women who are predators, but that's never what the media says. They always say transgender and they leave it at that. And I think anyone who uses their identity as an excuse to hurt others is a predator. Call it what it is. But by missing that word out when you're reporting it just gives people the context that all trans people are predators, which is not true. Because if we're going to go by that logic, everyone who's ever held a gun is a fucking murderer. <laughs> everyone who has a shit moustache is an anti-Semitic failed painter. And of course, everyone who's blonde would make a shitty prime minister. Applause. Well done. It's very rough, but uh, hopefully that comes something. I like it. Structure is, is, is on point there, Nolan. We like that. We certainly do. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.